Welcome to How Have You Not Seen, a movie podcast where every week we fill in the gaps in each other's cinematic knowledge by asking important questions like, whoa, 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 you never saw Pi? Or, you seriously haven't seen Phantom of the Paradise? Or, how have you not seen The Last of the Mohicans? Welcome, welcome, everyone, back for another installment of How Have You Not Seen? I am your co-host, Carson Betts. And I am your other co-host, Caroline Thompson. This is a movie podcast where every week we uh, bring one of our favorite movies that the other hasn't seen. We talk about it. And then we go and watch the movie. And then we talk about it some more. Oh, it's going to be a good time. This one is. Let's get right into it. Caroline, How Have You Not Seen? Michael Mann's, what year did this come out? 1992? Two. Uh, the last of the Mohicans. I don't know. I guess it's just one that nobody ever sat me down and watched. Because I mean, like, perhaps unfairly, and I'm sure we will get into this, like, in my brain, this is like Dances with Wolves, but a little bit better. Like, mm. that's the, the 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 place that this movie occupies in my cultural osmosis brain, having never <laughs> seen it. Um, And so, I mean, I don't know. Like, I've only seen Dances with Wolves because they sat me down in history class in yeah. 10th grade. And we're like, you're watching Dances with Wolves, kid. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I've just I've just never seen this one. It was on my Netflix list for like years and then it went away. Remember the net the Netflix list? Yes, I do. I do. I remember I remember when I first got Netflix When I first got it. You couldn't. um, I got it as soon as they released it on Xbox 360. That's what Mm. made me get Netflix. Yeah, same. And the function was you could not add anything to your list or browse on the console. You could Mm -hmm. only look at your list. So you would have to go on your computer. I would have to like go to my parents, like my family's desktop computer and sit down and scroll and add a bunch of movies to my list and then go to my bedroom and like boot up my Xbox and like scroll through and like watch movies that way. Easier times. Did you know, have you ever used the um like uh, 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 like Prime Video fucking uh, like app on like a game console? Not on a game. Well, I think I've used it on my PlayStation. I'm not sure. Okay. I also Until... use Chromecast. So I just use apps sure, sure, for sure. everything. Yeah. Until like, I think like a year ago. It was very recent. That app is so god awful and it's still really yeah, their chromecast bad. app is terrible too. yeah it's really bad but until like a year ago it basically worked that way like you could not rent a movie on like the console you'd have to like go on your phone go to the like prime video app rent it on your phone and then return to the console that is like insane. it was until I, I think i swear to god like a year ago like sometime in the middle of the pandemic i think they finally well this is look i don't know if i told this story on the podcast Fuck, this is me complaining about Prime Video, motherfucker. Like, come on, this dumb capitalist hellscape. Like, if you're going to own everything, make your app good at the very <laughs> least. If you're going to be evil. But, like, I tried to rent Julia Ducanel's Raw to watch it for the podcast. And I was the person who had to call Amazon and be like, the only audio track you have attached to this movie is the, like, descriptive audio for, like, you know, people with seeing like vision issues. Like that's, yeah. they didn't have the non-descriptive audio. They didn't have it 
in any other language. And I was like, why is this? I don't want this. And they were like, we can fix it. I'm like, you can't. I'm telling you, there's only one track on this. And then they were like, oh, okay. And they gave me my $2 back or whatever. But like, all right, enough complaining. About yes. And that's our complaining about Amazon corner. For the hey, week. I've got to say though, I've got to say though, like yeah. I, and I mean, I, this is just the thing. There's like, like a tweet goes around every three weeks. That's just like, is that music really good? Or did it just come out when you were between the ages of 12 and 17? And it's like, mm, fuck off. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I have such a deep nostalgia for that like the old borderline broken netflix app on xbox yeah that's how i saw alien for the first time you know like like the the film alien and like that shitty app are inextricably linked in my brain Mm. because it was one of the first like real movies that was on there yeah right and i just remember scrolling through and being like what can i watch on demand what can i watch on demand what can i watch on demand there's nothing good nothing good nothing i'm like oh alien my dad really likes that movie it's good guess what motherfuckers sitting right next to me is my cat named ripley she's sitting on top of literally a a very thoughtful gift that a friend got me which is the graphic novel version of the first film a very a very a very thoughtful friend uh carson who you met the other week when we went to see halloween yes um, yes she was at a bookstore and uh fucking saw that book and was gonna get a copy for herself and was just like you know what you know who would also really like this so it's like it's like i have deep nostalgia for that so when i think of last of the mohicans i think of that shitty app because that Mm. was another one of those films that just like was on there and i was like oh that's a good film and i threw it on my list and i just never watched it Mm. i just scrolled past it for probably four years yeah before it disappeared into the ether you are more of a michael mann stan than I, a man stan. A man stan. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even call myself a stan so much as just yeah. like all of his films that I've seen, I really appreciate. Yeah, yeah. Like I I love Heat. Heat is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, The Insider is great. Um, Yeah, and I, I'm not a huge like acolyte of Michael Mann, but like I love everything I've seen by him. And uh, yeah. And that being said, what do you know about Last of the Mohicans? So it is a film about a white guy played by Daniel Day-Lewis who like becomes, you know, like integrated into like an indigenous group, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Uh, ca- kind of. Kind of. Or he yes. becomes like buddies with them. Like, I don't know, like they live near each other. and Sort of. He... Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, he is a, he is a, there's a little bit more to it than that, but he is a, he is a, a white man. Yes. Yeah, and he is played by Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. Who yeah. is a surprise, uh, a white man. Yes. Yes. And, um, so I don't know much about it. I mean, I know that like the famous image is him like running. I believe he has a, like an ax or like a tomahawk. He's like, mm-hmm. he's like head down running towards the camera. Oh yeah. Um, that's like the big poster image. Um, so I assume it kind of ends in like a battle where he helps the last of the Mohicans. I'm assuming it's about a tribe or like a group or a community that is dying off. And he's like, Hey, no, these, these Mohican people, they are great. And I love them. And I want to help them survive. I don't, I really don't. And, and he gives a speech at the end to Adam driver. He says, all three of those things you said are wrong. And it ends with, and I am not the last of the Mohicans. I am not the last of the Mohicans. Okay. One thing I will say, one thing I will say is like, this is another one of these things that is just like ingrained in my memory forever because I thought it was so fucking funny when I was 16 Mm -hmm. years old. Um, cracked.com, which like we all, (laughs) 
16 um, that is a 16 year yes. old website yeah there was there was a there was a like they used to do this thing for like free content where yeah. they would just be like submit your like photoshops of like whatever the topic is and like mm-hmm. we'll we'll like do a listicle of like the 20 funniest submissions yeah and one of them was like worst sequ- worst like made up sequel titles ever and one of them is it's just the picture of Daniel Day-Lewis and the title was We Found Another Mohican. And I thought that was the funniest fucking thing because it's like obviously such a bad title. <laughs> so I always think about that. The old, like the 2009 Netflix uh, and We Found Another Mohican. That's I, incredible. Uh, really associate with this film. But other than that, uh, I don't actually know. Like, I don't know anything about the story. I don't know if he is, like, supposed to be English or, like, French-Canadian or, like, whatever his, like, his character's backstory is. I assume they're fighting white settlers. But, like, I really don't know. I really don't know mm-hmm. much about the film. Other than, yes, we've established directed by Michael Mann. Oh, yeah. All right. Cool. That's good. Now, I mean, it's good to go in that knowledge it's cool it's a cool movie um it's a cool movie that's why we're watching it um all right cool well that's all you know i think it's time for us to move in to our little game of the week i agree and yes and we will be playing untitled letterbox game favorite round here yes uh for those of you who don't know the way this game works is that i've gone on the uh film related social media uh app letterboxd I have found uh, three half-star or one-star reviews, bad reviews for three different movies. I'm going to read the reviews to Caroline. She's going to try and guess which of the reviews belongs to the movie we're talking about this week, The Last of the Mohicans. If she can guess the other two movies, bonus points. Are you ready? Yeah. Yes, I am. First review, uh, half-star, watch May 17th, 2022. Okay. OMG, what the fuck was this movie? I'm stunned it has such a high rating, misspelled. I'm appalled at the fans of this movie. I'm convinced people only say they like this so they can act like they relate to their emotionally unavailable fathers and say they get along. Just for the only activity the both participate in together is watching this movie that most likely spawned from hell because clearly it's here to make everyone suffer. Jesus Christ, okay. Number two, also half star, watched November 13th, 2020. Like director... Trying to make a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Daniel Day-Lewis is the Adam Sandler of Miramax. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Which I will say, I think that review is the most unhinged thing I've ever... Uh, trying to make a Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay, go on. Review number three. Half Star. Watch June 2nd, 2022. What I would give to have a sloppy makeout sesh with Daniel Day-Lewis in this movie. Okay. Okay. Um, right. could you could you run through those just the cliff the, the cliff notes of those again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First one was the long one, OMG, what the fuck was this movie? Yeah, I'm emotional appalled, father, unemotional emotional fathers, fathers yeah. watching. Yeah. Uh second one is director, blank director trying to make a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And Daniel Day Lewis is the Adam Sandler of Beer Max. <laughs> a statement that I cannot even begin to unravel. <laughs> Um, and then what I would give all capital letters to have a sloppy makeout sesh with Daniel Day-Lewis in this movie. Okay. Yeah. Number one is Mohicans. Number three, I'm going to say, number three, I'm going to say Gangs of New York. And number two, it's like director trying to make a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. He's the, he's the what of Miramax, did we say? Daniel Day-Lewis is the Adam Sandler of Miramax. The Adam Sandler of Miramax. That doesn't make any fucking sense. A little bit. Um, so if it's Miramax, it's got to be a little bit of a smaller film. And it's probably got to be a little bit earlier. Because, like, Miramax doesn't do too much these days. Um, 
I don't know. Is number two my left foot? So those are your three answers? Yeah. So one last Mohicans, two my left foot, three Gangs of New York. Eh, eh, eh. Shit. Okay. Number uh, one is There Will Be Blood. Oh, that's not a dad movie. I mean, I guess it's- if, I, if I'm your dad, it is. So, okay. So I was thinking about that, like bonding with your real dad, yeah. not <laughs> solving, because like Last that's, of the Mohicans is like an ultimate- yeah, Oh dad yeah, movie. it's a dad. No, that's why I read that. I was like, fuck, that's so good because this movie's about, it's a movie about an emotionally unavailable father, but it is not a dad, but last, oh yeah. I'm yes. so proud of finding that one. I was like, that's perfect. Okay. Number- Two is Lincoln. What was not released by? I had. I was like that movie didn't. Miramax had nothing to do with that, and I had to double check. No, 20th Century Fox, like distributed by Disney. Miramax had nothing to do with that movie. I don't know. And and like like Steven Spielberg trying to make a Paul Thomas Thomas Anderson Anderson movie. movie? It is the least. That movie is so unfucking Paul Thomas Anderson. It. Like, no, it's Spielberg doing a fucking Spielberg movie. Yeah. Like, Lincoln is the most Spielberg-ass shit imaginable. Yeah, it for ends real. like five times. Uh, yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis is the Adam Sandler of Miramax is a statement that, like, can only be induced by, like, Lovecraftian madness. Like, I have, I cannot even begin to scratch the surface of what was intended by the yeah, person that's, saying that's that. what you, that's what you babble after you've, like, <laughs> been, been slipped arsenic in your brandy. Absolutely. Like, like okay, le- I'm putting it out here. Letterboxd user, my Oposcope, who watched Lincoln on November 13th, 2020, and gave it half a star. If you're listening to this, I'd like to publicly invite you on this podcast to have an hour-long discussion about what you intended to mean by that statement. I would love to know. And then number three is Last of the Mohicans. I mean, he's Daniel Day-Lewis. He's a, you know, he's And that's the one where they want to smooch? They want to smooch. Okay. I mean, yeah, Yeah. I guess he's really pretty. I just, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a hot guy. You've seen his fits. Daniel Day-Lewis has some incredible fits. Does he? You are oh, more yeah. of a Day-Lewis I than am I. a massive Day-Lewis stan. Yeah, yes. he's like your boy. He is very much my boy. Yeah, 100%. Love Daniel Day. Love D-Day-Lewis. Um, Doomsday Lewis. Um, all right. <laughs> that, that being said, are we ready to go watch Last of the Mohicans? Yes. Yes, Hell yeah. Let's do it. We're back. He took a. <laughs> Wait, what? What did you just say? Keen Tuck. Was it? Was it? Is it the how they said it in the movie? Keen Tuck a. Keen Tuck Oh, oh. Are you talking? When Daniel Day Lewis said he's heading west to Keen Tuck a. Keen Tuck a. Ah, yeah. Messed yeah. up the emphasis, the syllable do, emphasis. Do y'all have a thing that happens to me, not with great frequency, but every so often? Certainly, when I watch things like this, where you're reminded how many places and things in America are just bastardized versions of native names and you just kind of like feel very weird about it. Yes. No, but yes. Yeah. I, I had yeah. that exact same thought. Yeah. Yeah. Where you have that. And it's kind of funny because you go, oh, he's talking about what would become Kentucky. Oh, we just named it after the land we stole. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> I mean, like, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with fuck. Ohio, like Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> oh, 
way worse. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to get into whether it's better or worse, but there's also in a very different way, there's Indiana. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, I, I don't know. I say worse, but I, I don't know. I guess it's not my, I guess not really, up to us, yeah. not really up to me. That's going to be, Hey, Hey, forewarning. That's going to be a lot of stuff in this movie that we talk about. We're going to attach that. We're going to attack this with empathy and intelligence and a healthy amount of self-doubt in terms of my ability to actually say anything about the subject. Yes, no, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. we are going to, we are going to, we are going to go, we are going to do our best. Uh, that said, uh, my hands are currently covered with mayonnaise. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, my mouth is on fire from eating all that ketchup I ate earlier. Oh, like, it's, just, it's so hot and spicy. Wow. Like, um, we're white. All right. We're white. So. Yes, that's as is Michael Mann, as is Daniel Day Lewis, as is Daniel Day Lewis, as is Jared Harris, who I wish was in this movie more, but you know he's he's, in a blink and you miss him little role. Yeah, pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, I guess this was thirty years ago, so like it's fine. This was thirty years ago, wasn't it? And and I will. Ah, God, I mean, we can get into it. It's like a little bit here. Well, I think more so later, but like it is this and like Dances with Wolves, which is a worse movie in every respect, I think. I think uh, I would agree. Yeah, where like it, it is true that the especially the prominent roles are actually played by native actors in both this and Dances with Wolves. And that is a new thing for American Hollywood. Um, but it is also true of both of those films that they do center around the one white guy who inexplicably seems to be there. Yes. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like, if, if Last of the Mohicans, I think was the only example of that being a thing, I do not think it would be as bad as it is in terms of it just being a trend and a trope, you know? Well, yes. And I mean, like, I think, you know, we've talked about this before on other episodes. I've talked about this um with queerness and in fact Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna i'm gonna do a quick plug um i after we did but i'm a cheerleader i went on um hit factory podcast with some friends um and did a episode on that there and we really like did like an extended bit kind of talking about this so i would highly encourage people to go check out that uh check out that uh podcast episode but um you know it's a thing that i've talked about before of like having a film in which there is a and Carson, I'm glad you bring this up because I had this thought like a lot through the film is like, yeah. I'm sure there are, I'm sure in this time, there were many, many people who were born, you know, on North American soil who like were white, were technically like, you know, legally, you know, uh, subjects of the crown mm-hmm. who were like, I don't fucking care like i don't know this stuff like like these folks yeah. like you know like these indigenous people like they're my neighbors like i've come to you know like love and respect and care about them and like i don't care about this crown like i've never even been to england like i'm sure there were many people like that because there were a lot of people it takes a lot of people to conquer like entire fucking continents believe it or not um, but I think the issue being the kind of like the two stories we get about, um, you know, this era is we get the wasn't so tragic that we did a genocide and <laughs> wasn't it great that there were like a couple of white dudes who were super cool. Let's talk about yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think the fact that you only kind of get those two narratives, like the problem is not that we're making stories about these things the problem is that we're only making stories about these things and that yeah yeah. you know there's so much like you know indigenous culture that like we could be empowering indigenous 
you know, filmmakers to make stuff like that. But like, that is to your point, Carson, the problem is not that we have a film in which Daniel Day-Lewis is a white guy who is friends with both like settlers and like the indigenous tribes. It's that we kind of only have movies in which there's a good white guy who is pals with everyone. And boy, can't we all just get along, which I don't think is what this movie is doing. I don't this movie think this is very much not a lot about how we should all get along. Yes. No, yeah, but no. that that having been said, I think it is easy to squint and put this movie in that box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I don't think that's what this movie is doing, but like it is. I think that this movie is like you said better than Dances with Wolves in just about every way. Mm-hmm. I do think some of the filmmaking in Dances with Wolves it's it's a little like cleaner, it's a little more polished. Some of like the war stuff is like a little like more uh you know, it's it, it's it's a higher budget. You know, I think mm-hmm. I think Dances with Wolves can get some more like capital E epic photography and editing of sequences. But other than that, I think Last of the Mohicans eats its lunch pretty much. Yeah, all day, every day. It's just uh, here's here's you, you want to know my opinion about this movie. My general opinion here it is. Uh, it's cool. <laughs> it is cool. It it's is a cool. very cool movie. Um, okay, I want a, a little context setting because you—I mean, we talked about this in the first half. You don't—you don't know. You've never read the James Fenimore Cooper, The Last of the Mohicans. You don't know anything about this. No, okay. never seen the film that um, that uh, yeah um, Michael Mann was clearly in love with as a child, and that's like his whole thing. Turned this, this into his is, passion. passion yeah, this project. is like yeah. more a adaptation of one of the like ten adaptations of this book. That he saw as a kid that he like liked and wanted to do better, you know, um, are you so this is the second in like a pentology of book of books. Yes. And I think when you consider that this is the adaptation, it feels in a lot of ways like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon to me, where it's like it kind of almost makes sense as like, a, oh, yeah, this is like part, you know, two, three, five in a narrative that there have been like seven books about. Yeah, um, it's it is yeah. that thing of just like of just kind of like. Why does a story start and end here? Like, I feel like yeah. there's more to go. And it's kind of, in some ways, it's kind of brilliant that it does. Like, mm-hmm. I think upon rewatch, I'm going to like this movie a lot more because yeah. I think like, you know, you kind of, films like this, you are conditioned to be like, okay, Daniel Day-Lewis is going to like save his lady friend. And then they're going to bring down the British Armada. Yeah, yeah. Like, and they're going to kill the king. Like, yeah. like they're going to destroy colonialism. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like they get to the end and he like, he saves her and he like, and they like hug by a waterfall. And then it's just like directed by Michael Mann. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Russell Means gives like a cool ass speech and like looks out over the, yeah, over the woods and it's done. Yeah, it, it's, and it's a thing that like, especially on, watching it for the second time, I kind of vibe with even more on this movie because like the first, the first half of this movie is, is so like, I don't want to say boring, but it's a lot slower. It's so much more about politics and it's, it's about like really like, like really, really kind of like unaccessible politics. Like you, it really does. You get 20 minutes in and you're like, fuck, like, what do I remember about like the, like the fucking seven years war and like its effects in the American colonies. And the answer is like, you don't. And like Michael Mann, I don't think really expects you to like, you know, like the politics are always just kind of like circuitous and weird and like you can't really access them. Um, but then once you get to that halfway point and it just becomes about Daniel A. Lewis likes a lady and he's going to save her and like him and his friends don't like, you know, the fucking the colonizers and like the other tribe of Native Americans and like fuck all those guys and we got to beat them so that I can get the one lady that I like. 
Like, that's when I'm like, okay, this movie has juice. Like, this is about something, you know? No, it absolutely has juice. And I yeah. think that, like, yeah, it, it it is it is very, it is a good thing about how this movie works for its, uh, it's good for how well this film will age and has mm-hmm. aged. That it's kind of like, when you get down to it, it's just kind of like an epic romance. Like, it's a historical yeah. romance where, like, this guy wants to save this girl mm-hmm. and, like, be with this girl. And, like, doesn't matter if it's, if it, it, it doesn't matter if it's uh, the English, the French, or, like, the, the I believe they're the Ottawa, right? The, uh, the Huron. The, in the, the Huron, the yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Um, it doesn't matter if it's like who it is. It doesn't matter which group of people it is. It's like this war, which like I think the film does a very good job at making the war seem very senseless and stupid. Like I think mm-hmm. that the film does a very good job at that. But like this war is tearing these people apart who like love each other. And like ultimately that's ultimately that's the worst thing imaginable. Yeah. You know, um, it doesn't try to get into like a specific historical stance of like, well, if only the French hadn't been so French, you know what I mean? Or like, it doesn't get into a like, here's the reason one of these factions is politically wrong and wasn't that bad. It's just like, war is bad. We shouldn't have done this. Like, yes, it was like, it could have been possible to just have peace between peoples and we didn't. And that tears people apart. And that's bad. Yeah. And it's like, it really is. I mean, especially when you consider this as like one in a series of adventure books, it is very much that the the story is set against the backdrop of all of these political machinations and like, and you know, this great epic story of warfare. But it, it's fundamentally about this like small group of people that's kind of set against that and are trying to navigate within that world rather than, you know, be a part of it at every turn. And like sometimes, you know, you have the scene where initially they Obviously, um, when they first when they first save the women and Hayward and they bring them back, it's it's not as though they're trying to get themselves involved in the fucking British and French war. They're just like, yeah, we saved you because we don't really like the Huron that much. And you guys seem innocent, I guess. And we really need some more supplies and some food. So, like, we bring you back. They're probably going to be pretty thankful and, like, give us some shit so we can survive the winter, you know? Like, yeah. Like, it's it's purely self-interest. It has nothing to do with any kind of, like, greater political will. And, uh, yeah, for that reason, I, I agree. I think this film ages a bit better. And it's it's also just that, like, I don't, I've never read the James Fenimore Cooper novel. I don't know how much of this is from there. But I, I, I do think that, at least in Michael Mann's retelling of it, like, if there is any empathy given to any group of people, it's kind of like you said earlier on, Caroline, it is always with like either the natives that are having, you know, just having their land totally taken or it's with the like, you know, the all the, the white European settlers, but just like the farmers who are working on the land and trying to eke out an honest living and like they don't give a shit about what's going on with the crown, you know, and you get that scene where it's the one white guy that you saw before talking with uh, with yeah. Daniel Poe, Hawkeye. Do you know, uh, one, it's it's really cool that they put an Avenger in this movie. Uh, two, yeah, the first, they say Captain America is the first Avenger, but I have. Guys. Yeah. But not only does this movie take place earlier than mm-hmm. uh, the first Captain America movie, this movie came out like 20 years before the first Captain America movie. What the if, fuck are they talking if, about? If in, Avengers end, if in Avengers Endgame, there was a scene where like Spider-Man <laughs> like, gets knocked over and Thanos is about to punch him with his big mean glove and you just hear a single fucking musket fire <laughs> and you see daniel day lewis running across the battlefield in a beeline 
Oh, okay. and he just uh, hits Thanos. With speaking the of which, off. speaking of which, the score in this movie is really it really goes good. so fucking it's hard. It goes so so really so so you hear you hear the musket fire and you hear the like the little the little like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and it cuts and you just see Daniel Day-Lewis running across the battlefield, oh, weaving so weaving in cool. between adventures. Uh, he just comes uh, up and thonks Thanos on the head with the butt of his musket, and then he God, just hugs so Spider Man. Cool. Yeah. He just checks in with Spider Man to see if he's okay, and then they run away. Oh God, anyway. I, that's so I completely lost. Oh, oh, I'm going back like two points now. Fuck it. Okay, do you uh, know what that character? So they adapted the name. Like Michael Mann changed the name in the most '90s way possible. Like, do you know what that character is called in the books? No. <laughs> um, his his name in the books is Natty Bumpo. <laughs> <laughs> wait wait that's Stanley Lewis's character's name yeah he's still like Hawkeye you know Hawkeye is his um you know his his like his English name yeah but okay, his like that's... English name is Natty Bumpo okay great because I was gonna say I was, I was gonna say well you know like I was like oh maybe I shouldn't be laughing like I I imagine that like that's probably like just you know, it's mm-hmm. like any 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 name from from a foreign tongue can like if you say it with the right inflection can sound kind of silly to our ears. Mm-hmm. But no, if that's his English name, that's ridiculous. Yeah, they and so they changed it to Nathaniel Poe because that okay. sounds less stupid. I say this every time I watch the Great British Bake Off. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we let the British name things. <laughs> they come up with the dumbest fucking sounding things for stuff. It should be uh, illegal. We should not allow them to name things. Yes. Yes, I agree 100%. I mean, what what the hell's a Q? What's a Lou? I don't know. Crisps? It's, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Oh, Corey, you God. were going to say something? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is so far from important. I was just going to say, I had a really hard time watching this movie kind of start to finish. And I mm-hmm. so I was like following along on IMDb, like mm-hmm. trying to be like, okay, this is this person. And Natty Bumpo really fucking threw me because that's what he's credited as. At least on Google, he's credited oh as God. Natty Bumpo. And I was like, I'm sorry, who? So Bumpo. that really helps uh, give some context for my stupid brain. So I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. So he's Natty, Natty freaking Bumpo. Um, I don't even remember what the fuck I was talking about before we got on this tangent. Uh, do So let's let's talk a little bit about the plot, right? Okay. Yes. So it starts, you just get kind of that cold open, you know. It, it, again, this movie, here's another thing. Michael Mann movies, so talky, so dialogue rich, so much, y- you know, there's a lot of like, Character, you get a lot of character out of just the dialogue in Michael Mann movies. This movie is so classical, barely gives a shit about what people are saying most of the time, I would argue. You get a couple of like dope ass speeches and like cool negotiations, but so much of this movie is physical action, vibes, like just beautiful tableaus, um, pure action, you know? So like this movie starts and even on second watch, I was like, what was this first scene? About? I mean, so much of the first half of this movie is still even the second time me going like, wait, what is this about? Like, who are these people? What, you know, what, what is, what are they trying to do? Like, wait, do I care? Is this guy going to die? Like, ah, what's going on? So you get that first scene, you kind of, you establish, you know, the last of the Mohicans, you know, you get Uncas, you get uh, uh, Chingachgook and you get um, their adopted son, Nathaniel Hawkeye Poe, um, hanging out with a couple of uh, their cool settler friends. And I, I feel like the only relevant bit of information you get in that scene 
if you can even call it that, is that they're like, hey, Hawkeye, why don't you get a wife? And he's like, not for me. Like, that's the, <laughs> the one. He's like, no, I don't think so. And then and then it just cuts. Sounds to, bad. Yeah, I don't think so. I'd rather run around with my friends and like have a gun. like And play lacrosse in our in our, yeah, in our yeah, off yeah. hours, uh-huh. in our leisure time. Yeah. And then it just cuts immediately to uh, uh, like, you know, just just British politics. Just like, I mean, you get obviously um, uh, Edmund Monroe. What's his fuck? Or no, uh, Hayward, rather. Hayward is a pretty major character in this. You kind of get the setup of him. Him and Cora becomes important because that's kind of the other side of the romance. The love triangle. Oh, it is so sad. It sucks. It's so bad. Oh, wait, which scene are you talking about? Because I'm talking about later when he dies. It's oh, so sad. yeah. No, that sucks, too. It's really sad. He, uh, yeah. It's, Just him being a little milk toast, like, oh, like we should, <laughs> we should kiss. He doesn't should sound kiss. like that. He doesn't sound I like mean, that. But. Basically, all the British are very foppish and all the French just suck in this movie. So like that, basically. No, I'm talking about the the scene where you get the setup of um, Hayward and Cora. And right. they're, okay, this is a thing like that I'm obsessed with anytime it comes up in a historical drama. And I don't know... I don't know. They, I, I always think they did it in like season one of Game of Thrones. They do it in like all, you know, the fantasy shit too. I don't know exactly during what period of history this was common practice, but I love it whenever in a movie there's a scene where two characters have a picnic in the middle of the woods, but the picnic has to take place on a beautifully set up dining table with like a, a, a like a linen cloth and like fine china and like prepared tea. And it's like this tiny little bit of like forced civilization against the backdrop of just giant epic wilderness. I am obsessed with that. I don't know why, but I think it's so funny. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah. cool. Yeah, and it's really cool. But no, it's the scene that they have during the picnic where he's just like, I love you. Do you love me? And she's like, oh, how I wish I could, but I just don't. And he's yeah. like, well, um, think about it. And she's like, I will. And he's like, well, uh, I mean, if you're unsure, then you should probably just listen to your dad and he wants you to, so... Yeah. Just do Yo. it, okay? And she's like, uh, okay, bro. And then she leaves. <laughs> I'm not saying, I am I am not saying that any of the bullshit we do nowadays with, <laughs> is with, any better with dating apps and like <laughs> bars is any better. Yeah. But like, yo, old timey dating be crazy. Yeah, it truly, truly was. A guy goes up to a woman and is like, I would like to buy you his property. And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, go ask your dad about it. (laughs) I'd sure like that to not happen. Yeah, yeah, no, it sucks. I mean, but it's, it is, they do a really good job with that scene because Hayward's like such a joke for the majority of the movie up until the death. I think the death really, you do. I don't know. I think he's sweet. I think he's sweet. Okay, I'm saying this. He is sweet. He is low key, but he's also kind of a foppish fool. And like, he does kind of exist in some respect to get like cucked by like cool guy, hot guy who like comes out of nowhere and is like dope. <laughs> yeah. But, but again, we, we've talked, we've talked about this in, we've talked about this uh, a lot in our Spider-Man episodes over on patreon.com slash H-H-Y-N-S pod. I'm sorry. How has but, Spider-Man come up twice already? And it's been like 15 minutes. Happens. We are the people Have you met us? We are. Have you met us? We are the people <laughs> we are. But like, you know, the bar, the bar for like masculinity in cinema is in the yeah. fucking ground. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But like, I do like 
that like the dynamic between the two guys, between Daniel Day-Lewis and other guy is not like little baby, like, you know, little baby virgin cuck, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like English guy versus like alpha Chad, you should be like him Day-Lewis. It's just like, he's very polite. Mm-hmm. And he's just doing what is expected of him at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, hello, like, like I am, I am, I am an officer and a gentleman. And I think we would be, I think we would be oh so happy in the streets of London, walking with our little parasols if you would just marry me. And she's just like, mm, I don't know, not vibing on it. It's like, okay, well, like, could you maybe think about it? And then it isn't that like DDL is like this great alpha Chad. It's just like, he's just a nice guy who she yeah. just falls in love with and like yeah he saves her and like it's good and like he's a good upstanding guy but it's not like i don't know like the love triangle in this never makes um fuck it i'm I, i'm forgetting his i'm forgetting his name um uh, but, uh freaking hayward yeah hayward yeah they 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 never like hayward doesn't suck he's just a guy yeah like yeah. Girls will literally refuse marriage proposals and they'll literally just be from some guy. And I like that. And yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And and like, it's good. It's a good characterization because he is like, he is a bit of a doof. But by the time you get to that final scene where he sacrifices himself, you're just like, fuck. Yeah. You're like, respect, yeah. Respect this guy. Like, yeah. Yeah. Man, no. Yeah, he's actually, he was kind of cool. Sucks he's going to burn alive now. Yeah, you really like, I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. great. It's pretty All right. great. So they go out, uh, they're transferring the the daughters of the other, again, literally like individual plot points in this movie. I'm like, what the fuck even what? Because they're transporting the daughters to the fort. Um, they task a Mohawk named Magua. Dude, a, a, a man with the most striking fucking facial features you've ever seen in your entire life. What a dude. Um, yeah, West Studi. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Yeah, he's great. Uh, to, to, to transport them, he the scene where he initiates the uh the the ambush so fucking cool is like it, it it's interesting because by the end of the film obviously like magua is the like if there is a villain in this film which i i don't even know i would go that far like everything exists in weird shades of gray and in this movie but like if if there is a singular villain it is magua but yeah. that being said, first scene when he just like gets the ambush ready, calls out to the guys, and then fucking tomahawks the one guy like right in the like right in the belly. Really cool. And it is really like, ah, oh, yeah, fuck the British. Like it's a cool, you know, very right. much on his side in that moment, you know? Yeah, no. And that's that's the thing that I was kind of wrestling with when I was watching this movie is like, and I think I think the movie does a good or a smart job of just like, well, you know, it, 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 like you said, everything exists in shades of gray and everything is yeah. very like, um, you know, everything is more or less like, um, empathetic to kind of like all the people involved. And there isn't like a mustache twirling villain at all. Um, I was wondering how much of the film is actually operating on the fact that like, no, like, fuck the British, fuck colonialism. Like we hate every, like we hate these people or like how much of that is just like me projecting my modern sensibility Yeah, onto it. Because yeah. like, like you said, when, when Magua was like gearing up for the attack, my like, you know, 2022, like woke scold lid brain was yeah. like, <laughs> you know, I was, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, we're going to fuck up the, we're going to fuck up the English, like, go yeah, off, yeah. King. Yeah. Um, And I wonder how much of that is 
intentional how much of that is just the times changing or how much of that is me just kind of being in like denial about like past representations of these sorts of conflicts but yes you are right if there is any villain ultimately if you like were to kind of if you were to track this movie with some kind of like objective algorithm it's like oh everything Mm -hmm. comes back to the british like everything like like it starts with you know Cora's dad like you know it starts with Monroe like and while the film doesn't ever portray him to be like this like bloodthirsty psychopath he is like a top-ranking person in a colonizing army and like they do give Magua a good motivation Mm -hmm. for and like one that you totally understand and one that you can totally vibe with but ultimately he is while you can trace all of that back to Monroe like he is Magua is ultimately like the mover and shaker Mm -hmm. of the film and is the closest thing to a villain that like is actually making choices that advance the plot and set back the protagonists. Mm -hmm. So it's a little fraught, but I don't know if that's on purpose or like how much of that is the film like commenting on that and how much of that is me just wanting to like this movie and being like, yeah, yeah. Actually, no, I mean, I have the exact same experience. I would say just, I don't know, kind of taking a step outside of it and thinking it from like a top down perspective. There is sort of a, well, this is based on an adventure novel and it should probably end with a cool fight in the top of a hill. Right. Like, are we going <laughs> to No, 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 bitch. It, bitch, that is not a hill. That is a mountain. A mountain, yes, I should say. A mountain. And it's like, who who's going to like fight Hawkeye and the Mohicans at the end of the end of the movie? Is it going to be fucking one of the like... British, like, British douchebags who's, like, wearing, like, dumb, dumb uniform and, like, just fires a musket once every five minutes? Or is it going to be fucking Magua who fights, like, a a goddamn crazy person and it's a really cool, like, action-packed scene, you know? Like, I think it's more of a... It strikes me less as a, a, you know... And they kind of justify... Like, Daniel Day-Lewis has that whole... The best scene in the movie, I think, the whole, like, uh, negotiation scene with the tribal elder, where he basically said, he's like, look, Magua's, like, being infected by the colonizers. Like, this dude sucks. He's all about, like, greed and revenge, and that is, like, not our vibe. So, like, fuck that guy. He's not right. Like, you know, he's he's kind of gone down the, the dark side of the, of, like, the Europeans, you know? Um, and I don't know, that justifies it a little bit, gives it some kind of context. But I do think a lot of it is just like, no, we need like, the plot needs to get to a point where it's like, there's a cool fight and like, who's going to be the cool final boss? Like, no, it's going to be Magua, of course. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, Hawkeye and the Mohicans save them. Uh, kill everyone except Magua. Very, you know, they kill all the British except the three important ones we know. They kill... All of the um, all the Mohawks, except the one important one that we know. Um, which yeah, is they've cool. got a they've all got pot armor, which is dope. Yes, which is which dope. is crazy I how they can it. hide it when none of the men are wearing shirts. But yeah, you know. oh god, so many shirtless dudes in this got movie. Got a bit of a so plot cool. force field. <laughs> got a plot invisible shield. Um, and then you get, and we should use this, I think, to talk about DDL. But so then you have the because okay, so I'm watching this movie, and we talked about this a little bit in the first half because you didn't know anything about this. My roommate walks in as I'm watching it, as like as I'm watching that scene, and Daniel Day Lewis comes out, and Cam was like, "Is Daniel Day Lewis playing a Native American?" And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." It's like and like right as the plot is explaining yeah. that, and it, up until then, because until you explain it, you are kind of I think with modern glasses watching it and being like, "Did they just cast Daniel Day Lewis to play like?" 
what is going yes. on? What's going on with his accent? Like, what is this? You know? Yeah. Okay. That is, that is one thing that I thought too, is like, yeah. okay. And like, I don't know. It's one of those tricky things where maybe the best idea is just like, maybe make this movie centering like an indigenous person, not centering yeah. a white person. But like, it's that thing where it's like, you don't, you don't really want Daniel Day-Lewis doing like an indigenous accent. No. At the same time, however, if he was actually raised... If he was a white guy who was raised in this culture and doesn't remember like his birth parents, he would have an accent. Well, here's here's my argument for why it works both in in universe and also in terms of it being a, a expression that takes choice. place in yeah. a movie. Yeah, because I do think this is uh, Daniel Day Lewis is a, a man of many voices. I do think this is perhaps the weirdest doesn't even seem right because like Bill the Butcher exists. But in terms of like it hits your ear in like the most in the oddest way, you're like, what the fuck is this? Is he just like doing kind of a modern American? Like, what is this? Like, so you get the whole movie, you have him. He is a very odd present. His accent is weird. He is clearly a white guy. And then you get the scene where he's um he he's talking to to freaking Hayward. And Hayward notice he's like, hey, you're a white person. Do you work for a militia? Like, what's going on here? And he's like, no. And he's like, you don't work for like this general? And he's like, no. And he's like, uh, so like, what's your deal? And he's like, uh, these are my people. I do my shit. Okay, fuck you. And then it's like, what? And then he has the conversation where he basically tells his life story so effectively that Cora falls in love with him. That he's, yes. where he says, he's like, I know I'm the son of white traders. I, they died real early. I got adopted by this Mohican dad. Like, lived with them but then he's like you know English really well and he's like yeah my Mohican dad sent me away to like you know one of the many right. like, horrible like you, you know like Christian inflected like English teaching like convert the natives schools and like that's where he learned English and if you consider one I think if you consider in universe what that would do to somebody's voice it means that he does kind of sound more like a like proto New Englander like early American accent guy especially when he's speaking english more than he would like a like a native person like a mohican sure and then sure. also in in the terms of the movie it means that this dude just sticks out like a sore thumb in every single scene he's in like there is something a little weird about his vibe no matter what group of people he's set against he's a little outside of every single group of people he's with which i think is the intention of the character and my guess is that's it is both a thing. It's both things where I'm like, that's an interesting idea for a character in a series of adventure books. It's a guy who like kind of exists in all groups, but like can't really fully belong to any one. However, you also have the thing where it's like, ah, oh, this was written in like the whatever in like the late 1800s. Is this just like, well, I want to write a book about natives, but we need like a white guy to be the central protagonist you can cast yourself onto, you know? Like, I and again, I don't know fucking James Fenimore Cooper. I can't speak yeah. to him. His, his heart and his truth. But, you know, it's a, yeah, I don't know. No, I think that's yeah. a good take. I think that's a, yeah. I think that's a really good take. Cause like, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I do remember him saying that he was sent to one of the schools, which like, mm -hmm. ooh, yikes. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I think paying, you know, with respect to how fucking cruel and terrible those places were, I feel like they probably, if they wanted to, and I don't know if this was a historical practice, but like yeah. probably could have really, really wrung the accent out of a person if they wanted to and because like i don't know that's just the thing that like you don't think of nowadays is like mm -hmm. you know pretty much if you meet anybody who is not a native english speaker like pretty much nowadays like everybody just has accents and it's just kind of understood that like whatever like yeah they you know 
they this isn't their native tongue. They have a they have an accent. That's fine. Um, but like, yeah, I, I I can imagine. I guess back in the day, them probably doing their damnedest to strip any yeah. any you know other cultural like marks off of people. So okay, no, I think that's fair. This also leads to my take that I I I do not think that you two are going to appreciate, but I hope someone out there listening does, which is that uh, Nathaniel Hawkeye Poe is just the Witcher. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't I don't know the Witcher, so I will give it to you. I will say that the, I appreciate it. The Witcher is a series of short stories and books, and also video games, and also a Netflix show starring Henry Cavill about a cool used to star warrior, Henry Cavill, right? That is the most. Well, they're doing one more season with Henry Cavill, and then it's Liam fucking Hensworth for whatever reason. Yeah, because he's going back to be Spooperman. Which, what, I don't know. The, the whole juice of the, of the I could get on a whole tangent about this. The whole juice of the Witcher show is Cavill's performance. It's like the best part of it. Um, but Witcher is a show that takes place in a very like politically divisive continent that's full not just of like colonizing human, uh, you know, armies and monarchies, but also a lot of, you know, in the in the context of this fantasy world, it's like, dwarves and elves who are kind of the the put-ins for like oppressed peoples and natives and the witcher is a human who was turned into a mutant and now exists outside of human society and is not respected by them but also is a human and therefore not exactly respected by uh you know the the natives of the land either and he goes from place to place just doing his job and occasionally getting wrapped up in the political conflicts going on around him but really not belonging or like swearing felty to any of them and uh yeah so Nathaniel Hawkeye Poe is the witcher you're not wrong <laughs> thank you for coming to my TED talk um yeah it's really stupid that they recast Cavill just end the show he's the best part about it hey hey uh that show is showrun by an alumnus of our prestigious uh university that is correct that is we correct should, we need to have a, a talk with her yeah yeah did you not know that yeah yeah, yeah she was a bit Yep. She was a, she was an English she was an English uh, alum so yeah. big ups let's get her on the pod get her on the pod come on talk Lauren about the Witcher Lauren and I know you're listening yes <laughs> come on the pod whenever you'd like well uh well yeah. we can we can talk about uh I don't know we can talk about uh the hollow yeah what we called the green space at our campus we can talk <laughs> yeah. about uh. We can talk about uh the 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 dining hall. Yeah, the the science building. Let's do it. To, uh, the name the science, I'm forgetting. The science building that kind of stunk a little bit. Yeah. What was the name yeah. of that building? I don't oh, know. That was not there when she was there. That was brand fucking new when we. Well, were yeah. Ah, true, true. But say, uh, Lauren, come on the pod. We'll the old we'll the talk. old business department that was falling apart and was literally like un, uninhabited. Carolyn, yeah. you're new, you you were an English major. Get yeah, to, I know. Get, get to work. I'll, uh, I'll 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 hit up some of the older faculty. Be like, give me give me your contact. We need her on the pod. We're both we're both in media, so get get Henry Cavill Henry Cavill on the pod through two degrees of separation. We can talk to him about I don't know. We'll talk about one of the old Superman movies with him. That sounds cool. He'd probably be into that. Yeah. Yeah, and then we'll talk about like Warhammer 40k or whatever. Um. Okay. So back to it. So what do you think of the DDL performance? We gotta. I think we gotta talk a little broader about Daniel Day Lewis because he is the center fixture of this fucking movie. Oh, I mean, it's good, right? Like it. It yeah. rules. Yeah. 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 My. Okay. Here's my take on this. So this is like the most like action star leading man performance that Daniel Day-Lewis has ever given to the point where like, I think this movie comes out 10 years later and this is absolutely a character played by Brad Pitt. And oh, I yeah. don't sure. think you can say that for 
any other movie. I mean, not that Daniel Day-Lewis was even in a ton of movies. He's very selective. But you cannot say that for like any other film that he's been in. Like he he plays weirdos and like intellectuals and like brooding villains and and like people that are not bodice ripping shirtless, you know, long haired <laughs> running men with uh, fucking guns like and it, it's just it's kind of odd. It's a weird performance given the rest of Daniel Day Lewis's career. But I do think that his intensity and intelligence really kind of adds a layer to this movie that I do not think would be there if you had a Brad Pitt, say, in the role, you know? No, 100%. And I mean, it goes back to that thing that I was talking about earlier where it's like, he's not a hunk. He's not like a fucking alpha mm -hmm. chat. It's just like, he's just kind of like a guy who swept up in this whole thing that I think you get from Daniel Day-Lewis. Cause like, I don't know, like I think Daniel Day-Lewis has, I mean, he's in, in the one scene when they're in like the fort and he has his shirt off, like he's pretty chiseled, but like, I think Daniel Day-Lewis has maybe not less of an ego, but maybe his ego, if he has one is, is more centered around like, no, I'm like a real like actor. Like I'm going to mm -hmm. play the truth of this scene. Like he doesn't, he doesn't hit marks like an action star. Like he, no. sure plays this film like a guy who has been in the woods for weeks at a time. Well, he because he probably because had he, been. Oh, he and Michael Mann spent many months in the woods. He learned how to build a canoe. He learned how to fire a musket, which, sure. look, I, you. there's a lot of things that can be said for the idea of quote unquote method acting in general, and then more specifically the way that Daniel Day-Lewis approaches method acting. But I will say, when you get to the scene where he runs up the side of a rock, fires a musket, which, of course, as we know, single shot weapon, then as he's still running, pulls out the gunpowder, rips it with his mouth, shoves it down the top and then pulls out another like bullet. That is the kind of physical performance that I think you can only give if you spent two months learning how to do that. Like, I, I you know, 100 really, percent. Yeah, yeah. And like, look, we're all fucking theater nerds. We're all fucking mm -hmm. like acting nerds. Like, let's talk Daniel Day-Lewis because okay. fucking. We have never done a Day-Lewis film on this podcast. We have not. We have not. There are not many of them. And there are not many of them that we have not seen. Yes. Is like, is the thing. Um, that is also true. But so, because, okay, the whole fucking thing about, let's just get into it. Yeah. Like people who are actually quote unquote method actors, which I don't even know if Daniel Day-Lewis identifies as a method actor. The term method has been so utterly bastardized Yeah. by yeah. like one, people who aren't even doing quote unquote the method and two, a public who does not understand what the method is and mm -hmm. think that it is like driving yourself crazy for a role. Like they think it's, you know, because fucking bastards like Jared Leto are like, oh my God, like I got so into it. I'm so crazy. I like, sent a dead rat to Margot Robbie. Look at me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like Jared Leto, maybe the most self-indulgent person on the fucking planet. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and Jared, I know you're listening. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> like what, Daniel Day-Lewis allegedly does for his roles, I yeah. think is really cool and respectable. And what yeah. I mean by that is the fact that he is like, I want to actually know how to do everything this character has to do. Yeah. Like, yeah, to some extent, there is like some movie magic that takes place where like, you know, like you don't have to know how to like do all of these things because you can cut around it and you can like whatever. 
But there is a level of experience um, that, like you said, like comes from just like knowing the weight of things in your hand and having internalized those things. I don't really apply this to my acting, but it's like it is a thing that like uh, you know, I I don't really think I've talked about it like super hyper explicitly mm-hmm. on the podcast, but like I like I rock climb when I'm not doing nerd shit. And there are a lot of skills there that like, you know, it, they're 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 so foreign to you when you start like like mm-hmm. working with rope, working with like this gear is so foreign to you when you start. And once you get it in your bones and can just do it with your eyes closed there is like a weird natural rhythm to things that like makes a lot of sense in your body that you just can't fake. Yeah. You know, like certain, certain skills, especially working with things, which is why I think like he talks about when he did Phantom Thread, like he learned to become like a master sewer Mm -hmm. because it's just like, he wanted to do these things for real and he didn't want to have to cut around all of the scenes of him sewing. Yeah. And there's just like, there's just a weight to things that like you Mm -hmm. need to internalize. And I think it's really fucking cool that he does shit like that. Yeah, and it isn't I, him trying to like, like gaslight his brain into thinking he's the Joker. Like, yeah, it comes. To, I mean, look, I've watched a, a ton of fucking interviews with Daniel Day Lewis because I think he's the most interesting, weird dude in the universe. Uh, to like put my my two cents down there, but yeah, I, I will say it goes from in the maximalist perspective of like he's like, look, there's one scene in Gangs of New York where I got to cut meat. Guess it learn. Guess it means I got to learn how to be a butcher for real. Like, get you know, which yeah. You, you kind of have the the old the old um, apocryphal story of um, oh who are the two actors I can't remember. There's an old apocryphal theater story where I cannot remember the names of two actors, but it's it's one older, more experienced actor and one younger, up and coming actor, and they're in a show together. And the one his character is going to be like like tired. He's been up for days. He's dirty. So this guy he doesn't take a shower and he doesn't sleep for three days and he's really fucking and he comes to set and he looks just haggard and like awful. And the older actor says, What 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 happened? He goes, I've been trying to my character, I've been trying to get into it. I've been spent the last few days. I've been sleeping. I have been eating. I, you know, I haven't washed my clothes or like combed my hair. And the older actor just puts his hand on his shoulder and goes, My boy, have you tried acting? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which like you kind of have. God, that. We really did go to the same college. Yes, I told that story did. every. I told that story every year I taught. All Sorry, the time, but like, well, no, no, it's the whole thing. But then, like, but it is true, and even in a very much smaller level, that like it's a thing. You know, if other people aren't theater people, that like about halfway through a show, usually the costume department says, "Here are your shoes that you'll be wearing." And then you rehearse the rest of the time in the actual shoes you're going to be wearing on stage because the shoes you wear actually really affect the way you walk and the way you perform, like in a very minute but important way. And like it is most of the stories I think you hear about Daniel Day-Lewis are stuff like that. It's things that I think are kind of understandable. It's in my left foot. He's going to be in the wheelchair the whole time, which seems a little extra, but you kind of understand it as a tool to actually get him in that physical space, you know? Um, Right. And like there is like, you know... I, I, yes, yes, go on. He talks about, I mean, like, and, and even the more ethereal things were like, there's this interview I love with Daniel Day-Lewis where the interviewer, and, and Daniel Day-Lewis, fucking cool looking motherfucker, always the best dressed guy around. And he's oh, just yeah. wearing some cool ass suit. And the um, the interviewer asks him like, in the, name, in the name of the father, like before you did that, you, the story was you spent like two nights in solitary confinement. Is that true? And he's just like, it's actually not true. I spent four nights in solitary confinement, but 
I don't find it to be ridiculous because how could I even begin to understand what that character went through if I didn't experience a minute fraction of what that was? And so it was something that it wasn't a choice. I had to do it. And I, it, it's it's like, one, that's fucking crazy, but also... But it's not. It makes perfect sense. It's not that crazy. It makes perfect sense. And also, here's the other thing about Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm sorry. I'm going to say one more thing about Daniel Day-Lewis, and then you get to talk more. It's great. Like, anytime, especially, like, when Paul Thomas Anderson was going on the last big round of interviews when he did Phantom Thread. When Daniel Day, for, like, the third time in his life, was like, I'm done with that. His thing was like... Daniel Day-Lewis is a fundamentally very lazy person who does not like to do anything. Like, he would rather just wake up, hang out, have breakfast with his wife, like, go for a jog, and then maybe cobble a couple of shoes at night. And he would be perfectly fine if that was his life for the rest of his life. But every so often, he has to go act. And because the only way he knows how to act is to absolutely, completely consume his life with his job. And like, for that reason, he's like, no, I just can't act because the only way I know how to do it is to like spend two months in the woods with Michael Mann or fucking learn how to actually do butchery or like, you know, whatever, fucking spend time in the desert doing There Will Be Blood or, you know, whatever, pick your thing. Spend time in solitary confinement. Like, yeah, he just doesn't know any other way to do it. It's just the way he has to act and it's why he doesn't do it anymore. Like, yeah, I don't know. And it's not harming anybody else. I think that's the big thing, too, that we're kind of, when you bring up the right. letters of the world, like, he's not like, you know, the story you hear about Lincoln is like he sent letters to Sally Field in character. And like, that's not, that's just nice. That's just nice character yeah. building. That's not like abuse, you know? I think uh, what sorry. it boils down to is uh, Daniel Day-Lewis does all of that and then delivers really good masterful performances. Yeah. And then Jared Leto does all that and delivers the Joker. He's still Jared Leto. Yes. And he's still Jared fucking Or he made a PA, like, wheel him to the toilet on the set of Morbius and then delivered Morbius. Like, yeah, there's a difference between the Joker, Morbius, and fucking Lincoln. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and real quick, the mm-hmm. the story you're talking about, um, I looked it up and it is Dustin Hoffman and Lawrence Olivier on yes. set of Marathon. Ah, Man. It is, um, there it is. It's where the where the uh legend comes from. Um, but yes, no, I agree. It's like it is the thing like the whole fucking Jared Leto bullshit is it is I am trying to convince myself and the other people around me that I am taking this very seriously and that like, it's, it's very self-indulgent and it's very mm-hmm. like, no, and it's very performative. Whereas like the things you learn from day Lewis are like, or the hear you hear from day Lewis is like, yeah, I learned to do all the skills my character would have mm-hmm. yeah, because like, I need to know, like you said, Carson. And I don't know. I, I think that the whole, like, cause yeah, it's like, it's like how would both with my left foot and with the solitary confinement thing, it's like, how can you actively portray like the frustrations and like the difficulties those people are facing mentally if you don't know what those physical circumstances are actually like? Because yeah. like, should Daniel Day-Lewis have played a man who's confined to a wheelchair who has cerebral palsy? Probably not. Like yeah. Yeah. it was the 80s, not say it was excusable back then, but like probably that shouldn't have happened. That having been said, if you get a fully like like if you get a non-disabled person in that role and you say okay like get in the wheelchair and like you know there's like scenes of like whatever like of like Mm -hmm. frustration or of difficulty act them out if you don't 
have that like that well to draw from, even if it is manufactured of just like, no, like I have spent time in this in this like circumstance and I wish that I could just get up and do the thing and I've done it 10 million times and I can't. Mm-hmm. like that is different than playing general like well i'm in the wheelchair and i can't do the thing i'm supposed to do in the scene and like yeah. so i'm just gonna play like what my brain thinks it would feel like to be frustrated by this and like i don't actually know and like the same thing too in solitary like that shit like literally is Fucks like your brain cruel inhumane like yes like it rewires your brain in ways and i'm sure mm-hmm. that whatever way ddl did it was probably a lot safer than what people actually go through but until you know like what that feels like like you are just doing like a cheap facsimile of like what you would guess and to some degree that's acting to some degree acting is like can i imagine these scenarios enough to put myself in there in those shoes but like to experiences like that that you just can't imagine like you have no frame of reference for yeah that's my take that's my take. Do another movie, Daniel. Do, come on, D-Day. Yeah, we miss you. If we're I, ever I looking you. for an excuse to more to do more uh, DDL on this show, I have never seen any uh, of his movies. Okay. Have well, you seen There Will Be Blood? No. Ooh. Well, Carson. Well, it might be time to do one of my favorite movies on this podcast for one. This movie is, can, can I can I do my final thoughts on this movie? And can yes. I do it in the form of a thing we do on Patreon a lot where I just read my Letterboxd review? Yes. Please. Okay. All right. Imagine this. You're a 37-year-old father of two. After a long week of work, you arrive home on Friday evening to discover your wife's made your favorite lasagna. You eat and laugh with your family. Your children run off into their room to play. Your wife gives you a warm kiss and you crack open a cold Miller Lite. You sit on the couch and turn on TNT. They're 40 minutes <laughs> into Last of the Mohicans. Daniel Day-Lewis has a gun and a tomahawk. You've achieved perfect ecstasy. <laughs> no it's uh, so fucking true but yeah. so fucking true this Such is like a one of dad movie yeah this is like in the pantheon of dad movies and i think i don't i say that very lovingly yeah um yeah no and and that was something that i was kind of like dealing with too is like Corey and i talked about this before you got on the call carson but like yeah we were just kind of i i said i think if i saw this movie in like seventh grade history class Mm -hmm. i think if they made us watch this in history class i think this would be one of my favorite movies of all time and all of my adult film criticism brain would be going towards just like no here's my last of the mohicans fuck so fucking hard yeah yeah, yeah. having watched it for the first time and not really knowing where it was going i i liked it i liked it i was a little bit i was a little bit underwhelmed but Mm -hmm. once i got to the end and i realized like oh they're not gonna like they aren't going to like lead a revolution against the British army. It is, it is like Daniel day Lewis gets back with, um, uh, you know, gets back with Madeline Stowe. And it was just like, Oh my God, like you're safe. Let's hug by this waterfall directed by Michael Mann. Yeah. When that was the ending, when I was experiencing that in real time, I was kind of like, wait, what? Like that, that's it. Yeah. What the fuck? I think now knowing that, yeah, I think yeah, like I think I I think I think I like this movie. I think I like yeah. this movie, it, especially on rewatch. Like, because the first half is so much set up. I say the turn of the movie is when they start making out. They have that cool makeout. Yes, sesh. no, it's almost and like the exact midpoint. That is the exact midpoint, and then after that, it is ooh, all action, baby. And from then, it just fucks and fucks and fucks. It's so cool. Like, 
Yeah, but no, yeah, once you kind of get in your head that it's, it's the exact same thing that you're saying, Caroline. It's like, once you get in your head that it's like not gonna be actually, as much as it is presented in the form of like a historical epic, it's way more of an epic romance and way more of just a straightforward action movie than it is that kind of thing. It's not about the sweep of history. It's about these like three dudes who are hanging out in the midst of the shit. Yeah, it's good. It's good, good flick. Yeah. Film. Yeah. Yeah. All um, right. Well, if that's if that's all we got to say, Corey, do you want to tell the fine folks at home where they can find more of this podcast? If you like what you hear, please be sure to like us and subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. Leaving a review would also really help out the visibility of the show. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at HHYNSPod. Follow us on Letterboxd. Uh, our individual accounts, Carson is at Fun Movie Zone. Caroline is at CK Cinema, and I am at Corey Reagan. Uh, special thank you to our patrons. If you would like a shout out on the show and bonus content, head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash pod. All right. Well, next week, Caroline, what have you got for me? What are we doing? Yes. So next week, as we mentioned, we are doing a very, a very short uh, one to Michael Mann punch. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this last week on the podcast. Um, pretty big crime that I'd never seen last in Mohicans. Kind of insane. Uh, Carson, bigger, my crime. boy. Yeah, you have never seen Michael Mann's Heat. No, I have not. No, I have like not. Like the ultimate '90s crime movie. I know, I know. So, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It is the thing that Christopher Nolan has been ripping off for 30 years. <laughs> we a movie so good that they built an entire other director's career on the back of it. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> next week we are going to be watching Michael Mann's Heat. Hell yeah. 